my lovely parent friends, and apparently we are still friends because if you've come back, you're listening and I'm still here. So we still have each other and we could make that decision about it, whether you've met me or not. We are on episode 10 of the Parenting Teen and Tween podcast. My name is Nikki Naradin, and I love being here with you guys and thinking about you and a more connected and peaceful and harmonious relationship with your teen and tween. But this podcast is AKA stop screaming, stop yelling, stop fighting with your teen, that you can take the lead and try to figure out how to shift the relationship. Because if not you, then who? Your teenager? Probably not. With that not quite so developed prefrontal cortex, and all those hormones raging and all the confusion that goes on in their teen lives. Your partner, maybe not. Maybe they're not interested in working on this relationship or in this direction, but you're here. And that means that you can think. And that means that you wanna move things forward. And that means that you want things to go well. And going well doesn't mean that they're good all the time. Going well just means that there is a commitment to moving something forward, to trying new things, to coming with an open mind, to loving fully yourself, your teenagers, all of it. So here we are on episode 10. Woo woo. Hmm. I'm heading back to Alaska soon. And so I've been thinking about that because if you're like me, and here I am in my late fifties and I've got older teens now kind of launching. I have also elderly parents who are kind of crumbling. I call my dad the crumbling man, meaning that, um, that his bones are getting more brittle, that things are harder. It's hard to walk. It's hard to get up. And so I went to his house yesterday and I gave my mother a well-needed break. She likes to play poker. We actually are a family that plays poker together. And so she went out and played poker. And I just sat there and I remembered something about his goodness. And even though he couldn't really move very well, when I looked in his eyes, I could remember that he was young once, that he was the age of my children at some point, the age younger than my children at some point, and I developed a particular kind of empathy where I felt I'm going to stay in here and just be curious and have fun and be interested. And so I asked him, where would you want to be if you could be anywhere? And he said a casino. Now, like I said, we all play poker. My family likes to play poker. I was like, all right, get dressed. Let's go to a casino. And he said, no, I can't go to a casino. And I said, well, why don't we create a casino? And so I pulled out a deck of cards and I got a flashlight so he could see easier the cards and I dealt and we bet. And I said, we can create casino environments. Now, the interesting part is that even if we went to the casino, there was no guarantee that the casino would be as wonderful as we imagine. And I think that's true about the things that we imagine in the future. But the fun part is the imagining of it. So whether it happens or not, we can create the environment in our mind. And if you've listened to earlier episodes, you know that I am really, really good at 
knowing what feeling I want to have and then creating what thoughts that I would think I would need to have in order to have the feeling, but not thoughts that I don't believe. Thoughts that are believable enough that I can continue to practice so that I can have those feelings. Anyway, that's what I did with my dad last night. And uh, this past weekend, I went to visit my daughter at her university and it was her birthday weekend. And so I made a decision that I would follow her lead and she would tell me what she wanted to do and when she couldn't be with us and when she could be with us and that I would continue to do what she told us to do. And so there were a couple of hours in between where she was doing some rehearsal or some audition for something. And so my son likes to play disc golf. I don't know if you guys know what disc golf is, but he's an ultimate Frisbee player and disc golf is like Frisbee, but 18 holes of it through the woods into a basket. And this particular disc golf course, and I'd never played disc golf before, and I've never seen my son play disc golf before, was 18 holes through this windy wooded area. And he drags his discs with him, which are just smaller Frisbees and would find where the tee off was and find where the basket was. And it wasn't easy to find, but he could follow this app. And it was so amazing through the most beautiful part of the woods in Northampton. And I just decided I was going to follow him. So again, I'm doing a lot of following, following my father. I'm following my daughter. I'm following my son. And I was just going to love what I saw him do that I didn't know any idea that he could do. And it turns out he's really good at disc golf, that he could take the discs and bend around corners and find the discs in heavily wooded areas and figure out where the next tee was because it wasn't all in a straight line and the paths weren't completely clear, but somehow he was amazingly good at it. And I would just jump up and down and get really excited and follow him around and enjoy myself. And again, I looked at him and remembered that young person that I loved so much. Now, my son just graduated from college and everything in my mind, because he's home and he's working for a friend doing a job, but not a job that will take his future forward. And there's so much judgment in my mind about what he should be doing. And I am always ready to say something. And so after we finished this 18 holes of magnificent disc golf, I felt like I wanted to say, oh, I can't believe that I'm actually going to say this, that if you put the amount of effort into finding a job that you love, as you did with the disc golf, then you would get to such and such place. Now, I can't believe that my mind was going to go there. We had this beautiful, glorious day where he told me how incredibly supported and fun it was and how supported he felt. And still, there was something in my mind that made me feel like I had to go back to this little nugget of worry that I had back there and say something. But let me tell you, my friends, I did not. And I hope my son is not listening to this podcast. He probably is not, but I didn't say it. And I realized that if I had said it, 
I almost would have set the stage for him to not trust how incredibly curious and supportive I could be without a personal agenda. But what that did do is it set something up so that I could bring up to him a few days later, tell me what's going on with you with work and what you're thinking. I would love to know. And he was able to stop and talk with me about that. And I understand a little bit better, not completely clearly. I have a million ideas about it, but I understand better. So what ended up happening is because I didn't follow that urge, that thought that created this worried feeling in my mind about his future and whether it would be okay. I didn't believe it. I didn't trust it. And I stopped myself. And I waited until it made sense, until I could think, until I could bring it up in a way that wasn't actually going to sabotage the beautiful thing that we had created together. And I thought about that too with my daughter because I was following her lead. Now we drove five hours to get to where she is and she easily dismissed us and wanted us. Now I knew that was going to happen. And part of me felt like saying, and I could have said, I drove all this way and you couldn't change all your plans, but I drove there on her terms and not on my terms. And because I did that, I curried so much favor that today she called when something was upsetting her and said, can you listen to me for 10 minutes? And I did. I sat and I listened and I tried not to give my worried judgment based on whatever thoughts and fears I had. And when she was done, she felt better. And I knew she was going to be okay because she is okay. So that is what happened this weekend. And the reason why I share this story with you is because we do have to figure out how to decide whether what we're thinking and what we're worried about is really something we want to think and we want to worry about. But that is for another topic. The topic I was going to talk about today, and it's interesting that I went to this last thing because I didn't realize I was going to go to this last one either, but this is a free flowing thinking, want to share with you all of what I learned and develop it more and have all the little thought babies that come out of it so that I could share more of how to move on this journey together and how to do it stepwise and in a way that would really get you to where you want to go, that strong connected relationship to stop fighting as much and stop yelling as much. But I wanted to share with you because I had this thought. I have a neighbor who I love and he's got two young kids. And when I say young kids, probably about eight and six or so. And we went out for dinner. We live in New York City together with a group of other parents and one other child and we were outside and I could see that the parents were struggling to keep their kids contained and kind of quiet. So I like to play with kids and I think that everything happens through play and I'm a bit silly myself 
and I like to have a good time. So I set up a game with his kids where they were running to the parking meter and running back and then running to the next parking meter and running back. Now this was all on the sidewalk. The parking meters in New York City are on the sidewalk and it was a fairly contained game. So they would run, they'd come back, they'd run back, they'd come back. They weren't really bothering anybody else on the street. They were clearly not running into the street because they were so well-directed. And still, I could see that the dad was freaking out. So the first thing he was freaking out about was he thought it was hard on me playing with his kids. So we as parents have this idea that our kids are hard on other people, that they're uninteresting, that nobody else wants to play with them. And we probably lose most of our friends without kids because we don't think they want to be around us. There is something we find inherently difficult about it. So first he started apologizing to me about playing with his kids, that it must be hard on me, that somehow I didn't want to be doing that. And I was doing it out of some obligation, which I assured him a hundred times that I wasn't, that I was enjoying myself, that they are the parents of young kids, and that I was really, really happy to give them a moment. I was also really happy to get to know their kids a little bit better. I know them a bit, but the best way to know young people is to play with them and see what games their minds come up with. So he kept apologizing. And then eventually it just became too much for him because then he started to worry. He started to worry about whether they were going to run into people. He started to worry about whether they were going to fall he started to worry about what the other adults were thinking. Now, I think that's so interesting because I find that most of what I ever I do with children in terms of disciplining them is to make sure that the other adults are not uncomfortable, which is so fascinating to me because the adults should be able to take care of themselves. But instead, we are constantly apologizing for whatever we can't keep in line with our children, however our children act out, instead of it being a community love fest that will take over when things look hard, it becomes a community judgment about what we're doing wrong. So eventually he decided he couldn't handle it anymore, the dad, and said they are going to go and play with their electronics and put an iPad in both of their hands and sat them down. And then they were quiet for the rest of the time. And then he looked at me and he said, I know I'm a fun crusher. Now he said it as a joke. And I thought it's kind of interesting, this idea about crushing fun. And I wondered when it was that we decided we couldn't have fun anymore the way we had fun when we were young. And it used to be that all of our learning happened while we were playing. And then at some point it shifted. It seemed that the fun was not grown up enough, that there was something immature about the way we were having fun, that there was something naive, there was something we needed to learn about growing up that did not come from fun anymore. And if anything, it hindered us growing up to have that much fun. 
I remember a good friend of mine telling me that he was about 15 and he was playing around with his brothers and sisters and having a good time. And his father screamed at him, get in the car, stop horsing around. And at that moment, something shifted for him. He remembers that moment well, that there was no fun to be had anymore, at least no fun that he could have with his parents. Now, it is during those fun times when a young person can show us what's going on with them, what their hardest feelings are, can talk a little bit more relaxedly, and if they have a really fun time, show us their hardest, deepest stuff. But we want to make sure that there isn't too much fun because there is something dangerous and something immature that happens when we're having that kind of fun. So it's not as if we only want our children to not have that kind of fun. We put that on ourselves as well, that we can't have a specific kind of fun. So the allowable fun that adults get to have are fun that are generally externally created in a way that makes us relax. So I'm thinking about the fun that we expect to have after work when we have a drink. That will be fun for us. The fun that we have by being entertained at a movie or a show, that that would be fun for us. The fun we have by eating. Possibly the fun we have by talking to other people. But just being silly, just being funny, Playing games, playing tag is not the kind of fun that we're allowed to have. Now, the other part about it, if that is the only way that we're allowed to have fun and we're desperate for that fun, then we will become urgent about having fun in those ways. And we will continue to only believe that that's the way we have fun. And so all of a sudden, those ways we have fun become ways that we need to have fun with. And so we might find ourselves drinking too much or only believing that we have fun when we drink or eat or binge on the news or be on our electronics. All of those things. So about our young people having fun, what I want us to do is I want us to find our way back to our young people, to our teenagers, by trying to have as much fun with them as possible and not to be a fun crusher. So I'm going to read from my book, Shut Up and Act Dumb, A Parent's Guide to Staying Close and Connected to Your Teens and Tweens. And I'm just going to read about something called special time. And we're going to talk about special time with our teens. Now, it looks different than special time with younger people, but you can do it just in, as much. And the idea about special time is that you are shifting the balance of power from the adults to the teenagers. Now, you might say, oh, my God, my teenagers have so much power already. But what they have is they have the power to say yes and no, which pisses us off to no end. But they don't have financial power. They don't generally have size power, although some of them are big. They don't have power to do what it is they want to do in terms of their work or even to decide if they want to go to school or not. 
and they still have to do what we tell them to do. They also don't have power to talk their mind to the adults around them. And people also have very strong feelings about what they think about teenagers. So even when we believe that they've got power and that they're getting sassy, the kind of power that moves you forward in society is not the kind of power that teens have. So the idea is that for a short period of time, we switch that balance of power by following their lead in a fun activity. So there are guidelines for special time. First of all, you're setting up a prescribed amount of time with no interruptions. Now, often I'll have people put on a timer so that you're really protecting that time. But if your teen is not on board with that, don't do it. Just spend the amount of time that you are going to spend anyway. Now, remember, part of the reason why I say with a timer is because you want to really put aside that time and know it's protected, but it's also really hard to do. Nobody paid that kind of attention to us. And so to pay that kind of attention to somebody else, we often can't do it for lengths of time. Now, this is different than doing a family activity. A family activity is fun. There's lots of place for that, but usually that is agreed upon by everybody or at least most people. So you're setting aside that time and you're putting on that timer. Special time guideline number two, put your child in charge. Be willing to do anything they want. Follow their lead. The reversal of the balance of power will encourage your child to bring up thoughts and feelings they can't bring up during everyday hustle and bustle family life, especially if it's related to homework and doing things they don't want to do. And believe me, some of them like school, but others do not. And homework is fun or at least bearable enough for some and not for others. Let them know that you're loving the time you're spending with them, even if what they're asking you to do is so incredibly boring. And let me tell you, it has been boring for me. If I have to look at another magic card, if I have to play another game of Fortnite, if I've got to watch my daughter on her phone, I was still in there and I was loving it, but you will be tested and you'll be tested to make sure that you'll stick in there, even if you're feeling bored. Guideline number four, be open to new things happening so that they can show you their new struggles and life challenges. They often will do things that will look challenging or hard. And that leads me to guideline number five, don't give in to the temptation to direct the play. Your kids will have their own ideas. It's not a moment where you can teach them the better way to do it. It's not the time to impart your long earned wisdom. If they are cooking and we spend so much time cooking when my kids were teens and they weren't doing it the right way, barring chopping off their finger with a knife, it was okay that the cake fell. It was okay that it tasted really bad because it was fun and I could watch how their mind worked. And they also figured out things without me having to tell them. So be enthusiastic, be silly, act as if you're not sure what they're thinking because the truth is, is we're not sure. And assume that they have an idea going on in their head. So those are the general ideas of special time. 
So as you listen and as you do this, remember some things are going to happen and it's going to test you. And that's when you're going to do your own mind management and mental fitness work. And if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, please go back and listen to it. And if you want to, you can sign up for my webinar, the six steps to staying close and connected to your teen and tween. And then if you want to, you can sign up for my boot camp, which is all now on video. So it's available whenever you need it and you're ready to take the dive. So you might be tested with an activity that you can't stand. The boring, irritating activity. They might feel safe enough to explore new activities that will feel dangerous. Like, you know, I mean, for the younger ones, maybe using the knife and slicing up a vegetable, you can stay in there, but you don't need to do it for them. They might act out hard things that have happened to them and you are going to get so good and so shored up at being able to listen to it and know that things are still okay. And the fact that they're sharing that information for you is all that really matters on the way to the promised land of staying close and connected. They might even bring up those hard issues. And you know what? They are going to get attached to you, but they'll show you hard things. And they might even act like they don't like you, but know that they always want you, whether they say they do or not. You are the person that they have the best shot at being closest to. So avail yourself to that. Don't stop whatever feelings your teens or tweens are having because it will be brought up to be worked on and it might be ugly, but you can handle any feelings. Okay. You have the tools to strengthen your mental fitness, to stick in there and to handle whatever feelings you can. So what I want you to do is set up a time to do special time with your teens might be 15 minutes. It might be a half an hour. Just follow their lead. If they're resistant, say, can I hang out with you anyway? If they don't want to be with you, hang in there anyway. See what happens. If they look really annoyed at you, just remind them how much you adore them. And that's okay. You might be annoying. You might be the most annoying person around. So that is what I have for you today, everybody. So don't be a fun crusher. Be a fun lover. And that sounds a little bit weird, but I, I mean it in the terms of being fun loving. Find the fun, find the joy, find the interesting thing. Find everything you need to be as fun loving as possible. And you will reap all the rewards, not only of your child trusting you and staying as close and connected to you as possible, but also you having a little bit more fun in your life that doesn't add a different layer of difficulty. All right. I love you guys. This is what I have. Take care. And I will see you on the next episode. Remember, sign up for the bootcamp, the webinar. You can go to drnikkinaradin.com. And that's it. All right. Bye. Thank you.